0: what the fuckery is a life coach well we're about to find out i'm nadege august your host if this is your first time with us welcome and here's what you can expect what the fuckery is a podcast about the things we hear about but don't know enough about a series of conversations dedicated to hearing firsthand from the very people whose lifestyle truths or concepts we struggle with understanding The very things we should know about but are afraid to discuss. Our subjects and topics may or may not be mainstreamed, but our guests, and sometimes experts, are in it, living their truth whether we accept them or not. And if, in that process, we manage to bring clarity to you, dear listener, then thank you for being curious, open, and willing. In that vein, today we have as our guest Tenley Harden. Tinley is the CEO and president of Limitless Heart Life Coaching. She's a certified professional life coach specializing in intuition and life purpose coaching. Tinley authored and self-published Leap Before You Look, Seven Steps to Discover Who You Are, What You Want, and How to Change the World. She continues to expand her knowledge and experience as a graduate student in Pepperdine University's Master of Arts in Clinical Psychology with an emphasis in marriage and family therapy program. Full disclosure here, Tenley Harden happens to be a dear friend of mine. Yes. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So listen, um, in, in, in keeping it real, mm-hmm. <laughs> I met Tenley, what is it, about seven years ago? Yeah. Probably yeah. at a party in Santa Monica. It was my first
1: year here. Mm-hmm. At the Murphs. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, Tenley walks up to me. She's like, hey, you're going to be my friend. <laughs> I was like, okay. And uh, she
1: was right. She's intuitive. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that's a fascinating woman. I have to meet her. (laughs) So
0: we're in LA. Things are always trendy. Everyone's, there's always something. Like I just heard of, there are dating coaches, life coaches, sober coaches, all kinds of coaches, athletic coaches, running coaches. Mm -hmm. We're in Los Angeles, trendsetters. There are coaches for everything, right? A life coach, acting coach, sober coach, dating coach, athletic coach. I thought coach was a purse. I thought (laughs) coach was just leather, a company where you get shoes, right? Mm -hmm. All right. So yes, you're my friend. And I'm ashamed to admit, I don't know what that is. And I've never asked her because I feel like when we get together as friends, we talk about life, us, not what we do for a living because- well, we don't let it
1: define who we are Yeah. Or more than just one thing. Tenley, what on earth is a life coach? <laughs> um, I think the best way to describe it is that life coaching is about taking somebody from functional to optimal. And that might sound cliche, but most of us are functioning, you know, um, relatively speaking. And when you seek a life coach, you're seeking to optimize your potential. You're really trying to tap into what you hope are your gifts, your, your mission in life, what you can offer the world. You feel more purposeful. Um, There's a lot of stagnancy that goes on for a lot of human beings. And I think many of us who are seeking life coaching or seeking something more are bored. We're just bored. Frankly, we're bored in our relationships. We're bored at work. We're bored with our health. We're bored with just whatever it is. And so life coaching ups that factor. Um, what a life coach does and what I try to do is help Get through the blocks. So, there are a lot of fears, assumptions, limitations that we put on ourselves. And those are called energy blocks. And those get in the way of optimizing our potential. So, Life Coach comes in. It's kind of therapeutic, but it's not therapy. We can't really say that because we are not certified as therapists. How is that different
0: from going to a therapist?
1: So, as somebody who's in a graduate program for psychology right now to become a licensed therapist, the difference is that as a licensed therapist in California, at least I know this, um, you, are, you are licensed to you know, work with somebody on a therapeutic level, meaning that you are diving into their family of origin, you're diving into you know, addictions, behaviors that are, um, might be substance abuse disorders, depression, um, manic disorders, whatever is going on for them. Whereas with a life coach, while you might have a client who has those disorders, you're not necessarily focusing on those things. You're actually focusing more on the present and moving forward. So if a, if a client comes to me and wants life coaching and says, you know, I really hate my job. I just want to make more money. We're going to focus on just those things versus, well, you know, where were you 10 years ago and how did that affect you 10 years ago? Um, so it's a very forward-moving, progressive sort of thinking and that more of a. It, it requires a lot of um, belief systems to be eradicated. Whereas with therapy, you're breaking a lot of those belief systems down, but you're also from week to week trying to figure out how to go um, deeper into the psyche, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah. So as a life coach, when you talk about uh, belief systems that the, people, the person may have and all of that, is that something you uh, unpack, you discover, you work through, you mm-hmm. figure out with them? Or do they come going, hey, I, my therapist says mm-hmm. I have this issue.
1: They could. I mean, they could come to me with those issues, but most of the time, um, what I start with is, you know, the golden rule, which is like, how is life treating you versus how you're treating others. You know, what's going on for you right now? Because they're usually patterns of behavior, right? They're going to tell me, well, this is what's happening in my life, and then I'm going to ask them, where else is that happening? You know, is it happening in your love life? Is it happening in your health? Because it's going to seep out in other areas, and then I can recognize what the block is. Is an assumption. Is it a gremlin, as we call it, which is the the little shithead on your shoulder <laughs> who says you're not good enough and you're never going to be strong enough or tall enough or smart enough or whatever it is? Is it a limiting belief that you've held for so long, like um all men cheat, you know, or um, marriages don't work out? Or, um, you know, it could be an interpretation. So we interpret things and we judge people. We have this critical analysis of what's going on in our lives. And really, at the end of the day, some people think, well, life coaching is just about putting a positive spin on all those things. It's actually not. It's being very authentic with what's going on in your life and changing your perception. Because um, our perceptions are coloring our lens of how we are communicating with other people and interacting with um everything in our lives whether it's even in traffic at the post office dealing with our bank account it doesn't matter it happens everywhere now how specific do you get because you've got your specialized in intuition and life
0: purpose coaching how did you okay so how did you come to these areas as your specialty not to say you can't do other yeah. things right yeah
1: um i think because when i was going through the training so the training's actually really tough um to compare it to my graduate program right now, the training I received in life coaching, I feel like was a lot harder. Well, <laughs> while while Pepperdine's program is longer, it's um, it's not as tough as the life coaching. The life coaching certification program was not just like a cruise on a weekend. It was a year-long program with intense um, nightly conversations on the phones. You had to go to all sorts of meetings. You had to work with mentor coaches, mentee coaches, it was just extensive. So in that process, I found my niche because I discovered that I really love working, especially with adolescents, but people in particular who are looking to find greater purpose in life. And, um, because I think that's really what the core of of what a lot of unhappiness is or where it lies is, as I said, people are just bored and they, and when you're bored, you turn to a lot of things that are not healthy for you. Um, and they're bored in their relationships or whatever it is. So life purpose and intuition, when you tap in to that gut instinct, and when you tap in to surrendering to that and to acknowledging that it can feed your soul, literally feed your soul on a daily basis, then you have this resonance throughout the day, right? So like shit can hit the fan, but if you feel like you are living your purpose and you're living your dream, you've got that resonance beneath the surface, it's not going to hurt you as much. You're not going to be as bothered as much on a daily basis is what I have found with my clients.
0: So when you were going through this program, did you have to do all of this for yourself first
1: and yes. for others? Yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. Does and, you anyone know, fail at becoming a life coach? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they do. I mean, you know, there were a lot of people in our program who um, had a lot of stuff going on. Um, and you think that you're so you know, like, I'm so self-help, wisdom, I've read a million books, I've read every Eckhart Tolle book, and you get there, and you're like, no, you got shit to unpack, you know, and, Whether it's, again, and that is where the therapeutic process plays into life coaching. You do have to unpack that in order to clear the way for your clients. Um, There is some self-disclosure that goes on when you are a life coach. And actually in therapy, I don't know if your therapist or anybody's therapist does this, but mine does. There's a bit of self-disclosure in therapy. There's more so in life coaching, um, for me at least. Um, Because my clients want to know, have you been through this before? Like, did you feel completely purposeless? Um, so yes, I did go through a lot of that and I do express that to them that, you know, this is where I was. And in fact, in my book, there's a, the whole first three chapters are all about my life and how I got through it.
0: Mm. So can you walk us through, um, an example of an issue someone can come to you with? Yeah, and 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 how do you break down the beliefs and all of that? Do you have
1: homework? Yeah, do they come? To, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I used to homework. call it. I I know. I used to call it home play. But the thing is, it's like if you're only meeting once a week, um, you 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 have to remember like there's a whole six days there that somebody's not with you being held accountable so i'm definitely assigning stuff throughout the week so that you are the client is working hard i mean it's it's a mental muscle and i tell clients that in the beginning it's actually it's going to feel like a chore it's going to feel like you are going to the gym every day and you're hating being on that treadmill because you're changing i i i liken it to a rope that has been braided for a very long time so imagine a rope being braided for a very long time and your job as a 25, 30, 35, 40 year old is to unravel pieces of that rope. It's very tight, right? And that's painful and it's hard. So on a daily basis, um, they have to unravel thoughts. What a typical client will come to me with, um, and I I typically work with adolescents, as you know, teenagers. So, but when I work with um, people from all ages, it's typically, as I said, they are dissatisfied with a certain aspect of their life. So, um, most of the time it's job related, you know, they're like, I don't like what I'm doing. I'm stuck in a position that I don't like. Um, I graduated from college with this degree and I'm not even doing anything with it. Um, they just feel like their life purpose isn't working. So what we will work on first and foremost are their energy blocks. And I was trained in the seven levels of energy. So this is how the seven levels of energy goes. Level one is apathy. It's like, I don't give a shit about anything. (sighs) Like, I'm going to stay on my couch all day. I'm going to eat potato chips. I ain't then doing, yeah. done that. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes level one's really good if you're sick. You know, you need to stay on the couch all day if you're sick. Level two is anger. So if you can imagine it, um, a woman who's abused and she's not in level one, great. She's in level two. She's angry. She wants to get out of that situation. So anger um, can be good but it's still considered what we call catabolic energy, meaning it's energy that is disempowering or holding you back. So anger exists um, everywhere, as we can see even in our politics right now, <laughs> specifically in our politics. But you can see it with people who have a lot of heart disease. They have a lot of stress going on. They're constantly sick. Uh, throat issues. They have a lot of throat issues. Um, acne, you know, skin issues, that sort of thing. Level three is more of like... I'm going to make lemonade out of lemons. I'm complacent. I don't love what I'm doing. And this is actually where a lot of clients come to me. Like they are at level three. They're like, yeah, I don't love my life, but I'm dealing with it. You know, and it's actually a dangerous place to be because you do not want to stay in level three for too long. Um, As we know, the universe hates complacency. It will throw you a huge curveball so that you can get out of complacency. Level four is gratitude or generosity. So it's like, all right. I'm gonna step out of my own way for a second and help somebody else out and that frees us up energetically because then we're no longer trapped in this like me, me 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 i'm so awful my life sucks you know that sort of thing level five is all about it's actually where a lot of really successful ceos live they are like how can i make this work for everyone it's like really good coaches of a football team you know like how do i strategize for everybody on this field And make it work for every single person and then level six is about creativity it's like uh you can imagine i mean you're an actress so it's like where you reside when you're really feeling that character i watched carrie underwood sing the other day and i was like crying my eyes out because you could tell she was just in that state of bliss of creativity so when we activate creativity in us we're really freeing up so much energy and then level seven is the highest level, and it's sort of Buddhist, you know, or Jesus-like. It's very, very Mother Teresa, you know, just resonating. It's such a calm, peaceful, higher consciousness. Who do we know that does that? You know, when people go into a state of complete bliss and meditation, you can get into level seven. I actually have heard, too, from when Carrie Underwood gave an interview, and Pavarotti and a couple other artists, they say that they they black out when they sing Mm
0: -hmm. you leave your body yeah
1: so that's a level seven um so that's where i start with clients and i'll look at you know where are they resonating on a daily basis and then i have them measure and gauge their levels for a week as homework you know like what are their thoughts on a daily basis level one level two level three where are they and when they come back the next week they're like wow god that was so painful it was like every day i had a level one or two thought about myself I just like tore myself down. I came home from work and blah, 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 blah. It was like a constant. Um, And then we begin the process of changing those thoughts. Um, And that really is where psychology comes into play. Because when you change the thought, you then change the emotion, which then changes the behavior, which then changes the outcome. So it's a circle.
0: Do people ever go back? to an old belief because it's so ingrained. I imagine as adults, it's probably, uh, it's reside, it lived there for so much longer than with an
1: adolescent. Mm. Oh my gosh, yeah. That's kind of why I like working with teenagers because it's like, ooh, you're fresh and new, I can change you. No, i can. kidding. <laughs> um, they're just, yeah, they, uh, they're just beginning. Um, and they're trying to figure out their life. Um, yes, they go back to old belief systems. I mean, I have clients I've been working with for ten years. Um, one of whom I started with her when she was sixteen. She's now twenty six. She's an actress in Hollywood, um, and I still work with her on a, you know an occasional basis. I have another um, client, and I've worked with her for eight years. She's in law school now. I started with her when she was sixteen. And they, you know, she comes back to me on a monthly basis with the same thoughts she had when she was 16. Mm. But the difference is, again, she gets out of it a lot quicker because she has the strategies. Sometimes it's hard to remember to trust those strategies, right? Um, So, yes, the belief systems are really, really cemented in our brains. And science will tell us that that's, you know, that happens at age probably... Twenty three, right. sort and of your pathways mm-hmm. have been established, and yep. they are hard to get out. Right, of. yeah, yeah. And you guys have interviewed like that. The trauma, the trauma just sticks there, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, it's very, very tough. But when, again, when you when you tap in to the resonance of the energy of how how am I resonating today in terms of my life purpose, it at least in my experience, it's not as difficult to overcome the crappy thoughts like when you go in for an audition or when you, um, you know, you meet a new guy or it's a new girl. You. Yeah. You're like, I suck. But then you're like, uh, you know what? I don't suck at everything. Like there are other things that I'm really good at, you know, and that sort of maybe wouldn't have played out f- for that person 10 years ago, five years ago, three years ago. Yeah. They would you have know. dwelled
0: in the muck mm-hmm. and gone back to apathy. Yep. Do strategies sometimes change as your clients evolve or, or your, the adolescents as you become an adult, do we need different tools or strategies or does it pretty much stay the same?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, as a, an adolescent, when I work, I mean, I've worked with teenagers for gosh, 15 years. And in my experience, um, there's a lot of, I don't knows when I ask them questions, it's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Because, you know, the idea to tap into your emotional, um, psyche or your awareness or your, or your intuition as a 16 year old, 15, 16 year old is sort of foreign to them. (laughs) It's not something that high schools are teaching these days or ever have taught. So yeah, there's definitely a difference there, but I have a 56 year old client and he, in the beginning of our sessions, he was like, you know, I've never thought about it. This like, so he even had the, I don't knows, you know, he was like, I don't, I've never thought about it. I never thought about that. Now that is where I brought in some therapy um, and where I combined my therapeutic approach because he did need to go into his past uh, relationships because he's in a current marriage that he loves, but he's worried that he's not being a good enough husband, you know, because he's, he gets into like little tiffs with his wife and he just wants, he loves her so much. But in his first marriage, all they did was fight, and they met at 18, and they had three kids, and they fought and fought and fought and fought and fought until they divorced when he was 27, I think. Um, and so he was he's used to the, um, the constant, like, yeah, the constant conflict, yeah. right? And so he runs from it, and there's the defense mechanisms. So that is probably what answers your question the best, is that as you get older, those defense mechanisms become very very ingrained in who you are whereas when you're a teenager a lot of those defense mechanisms are still being felt out you know you're still like you're defensive because your hormones are raging first of all (laughs) second of all you're just like testing the waters and like seeing what's going to work you know it's like oh i'm going to press my parents this way or i'm going to test my teacher this way or i'm going to see if an adult will do this for me you know will somebody still validate me even though i'm an asshole so Like with teenagers, that is a little bit different, where their defense mechanisms are wired a bit differently. Tell us how you came about working with uh, the adolescents. I know, but I think it's a cool story. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay, so this goes back a while. Um, So I struggled as a teenager. I was 16. Um, you know, there was uh, addiction in my family, and um, you know, I had a I had a relatively safe and healthy childhood, but I had some challenges. I was the youngest of four. It was a very competitive family of um, athletes, and I was an athlete, and I was a tennis player. And so I, um, I actually said this to my dad the other day. I spoke my truth. Hey. I was like, "Yep." I said, I never enjoyed a single moment of tennis the other day. I said that to my dad. And he was like, what? Wait a minute. I thought you enjoyed the practices and like the team. And I said, nope, not a single moment. I said, it has nothing to do with you. Well, I didn't say that. That's true. It had a lot to do with him. <laughs> but I said, I just didn't really enjoy tennis at all. And the reason was, is that he was very tough on me, really tough. And, I, and at the time, my mom was sort of absent. My sisters and brothers had moved to college and I felt alone. I felt sort of abandoned in a way, I guess you could say, Um, even though like from the outside in, I had everything you could ever want. I had coaches, talk about coaches. (laughs) I had an athletic coach. I had a tennis coach. I had everything. I had a a hypnotherapist, everything, Um, but I just felt alone. So when I was in my 20s and I became, I got my master's in English, I started teaching English um, at a community college and... I was sort of disillusioned by, you know, teaching at community college. I wanted more. So I moved to the D.C. area, Washington, D.C., and I was like, you know what? I'm going to work in education policy. And I interviewed for a lot of jobs in education policy, didn't like them, and then decided to put my hat in the ring for teaching at a public school as a high school teacher. And um, Mount Vernon High School in Alexandria, Virginia, so right at the end of the parkway, like right near George Washington's home, um, the assistant principal called me and we got along really well right away and she hired me and I, my first year of teaching at Mount Vernon was in 2007 and it was like, to this day, it makes me cry because those kids taught me way more than I ever taught them. Um, and in the process of teaching them, I realized, um, that they, Felt like I did as a teenager, just it didn't matter where you were from, how much money you had or how little money you had, because it was a school that was considered a title nine uh, or title one school. So it was at risk, which means at risk. Mm-hmm. Title one means it receives subsidiaries from the government, like, you know, um, more lunch money and that sort of thing. Um, more assistance for after school help, that sort of thing. Um, and these kids were, came from all walks of life, military or not. Same feeling of abandonment, same feeling of lack of validation. So I started doing what was called talk time, and so every Friday I had a bowl of questions. I told my class I was like, "You can put any question you want in this bowl, anything. Um, There's just nothing that you cannot ask. If this is a safe space. I want you guys to just ask anything." And I said, "In 30 minutes that we have left of class on Friday, I'm gonna pick out of the the bowl and we're gonna answer them. And if I feel like something's really inappropriate," then I might save it and like put it aside. But for the most part, let's, let's talk about it. So there were fun questions in there. Like, you know, what'd you do in your twenties? Did you travel? Like they would ask me questions, but then there were really serious questions. Like one, one, all anonymous, one person asked, um, I found out that my best friend was raped. What do I do? You know, she's like 16. So nobody really shared his or her name, which was nice because all we did was talk about it. So you'd get opinions from the rest of class like, this is what I think you should do. And oh my God. And there was so much compassion going around. like, The amount of love and support that these teenagers were showing for each other, it was inspiring. And at that moment, I knew, I was like, teaching's great, but I want to work one-on-one with kids. I want to continue to find out what makes them tick and help them grow as much as possible. And so they would come to me at lunchtime and after school. Um, you know, I have like tons and tons of files of their letters and their paintings and their sketches. Um, at the end of the year, instead of giving a final exam, I asked the question on a final, well, oh, I had them study for the final exam, I kind of tricked them. <laughs> and I said, yeah, you're gonna read all the poetry and you're gonna study for the grammar and all that stuff. And then they got to the final exam, and the only question on the exam was, why are you here? And they were like, what? Miss Harden? This is not right. I studied so hard. And I said, all I want you to do is write me a poem, write me a letter, draw me anything, whatever you feel like you want to do. Tell me why you think you're here. And I think that's just where they all, again, they felt like they could be, you know? And what did
0: you intend with that question? Why are you here on this planet? As in, it's a purposeful question type of
1: Kind of. I mean, it was like, yeah, I said to them, you don't need to tell me your career. I mean, if you don't know your career, it's totally fine. Yeah. Why do you think, do you think you're here to nurture? Do you think you're here to heal? Do you think you're here to make people laugh? Do you think you're here to make people feel entertained to escape? Do you think you're here to inspire? Do you think you're here to educate, lead? Um, Do you think you're here to tell stories? Like, what is it? And, uh, you know, I had a lot of musicians in the classroom, so they wrote lyrics. I had some, uh, one artist, she was a fabulous artist. So she wrote this, she did this like labyrinth, you know, she did this maze with like all these characters in it. Um, and then I had other students who were like, I don't know. And they wrote me a letter, like, I don't know, but I know that I, I love my family and maybe I want to be, you know, a family person. And so Mm -hmm. it's just about self-discovery, you know? Yeah. What a cool
0: class. Yeah. I wish I was there.
1: (laughs) I wonder if I'd be different today.
0: Well, I don't know. Well, I am completely, I feel enlightened. Sarah, producer Sarah Brown. (laughs) Do you have any questions for Tinley? Not that I can think of. Excuse me. I wonder, is there a... Can you work with people you know well? Or is that sort of?
1: I have. I have. How does Um, that work out? It's been okay. You know, I think, so it's, it's a little funny because sometimes my family will be like, can you please take the life coach hat off, you know? And like, I get it. My husband particularly, he can't stand the life coach hat. You'd think he'd love it. He's, right, he, you Re-coaching. know Yeah, he's like, uh, and I'm, you know, trying to cheer him on. He's a lawyer, but um, he just, yeah, he. It's too much for them sometimes. Um, so I've had to back away in terms of like family and friends, you know. But I try, you know, you know, you know. We've had conversations where it's like it's there. I just the way I ask questions, I just think it's been there forever. I don't think that life coaching made me somebody who was in you know, inquisitive, I've always been inquisitive and curious and wanted to know why, how, well, where did that come from? What's your plan? (laughs) Yeah. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Here's what I think you should do. Yeah. I know the advice train, like I try to step back, but it's not always easy, but you know, I do, I do like action. Um, you know, I think I think that's a huge part of life coaching, which is like, what's the plan of action, right? You know, you came to me, you were dissatisfied with your life. Okay, what's our plan of action? Um, but my biggest lesson in life, my biggest curriculum, I believe, is um, learning how to trust and not not being always about action, which is really, really tough. Um, and it's interesting cause I am an intuition and life purpose coach, right? So it's like leaning on the intuition and trusting that and not always being about action, knowing when you really do need to take action and being like, okay, I feel like I need to go and do something about this and knowing when to step back and being like, I'm going to surrender, allow and trust. Um, so that's where I have worked on that a little bit with friends, like, just take a step back, T. You know, take a step back and be like, let them be. You know. <laughs>
0: right, Yeah, because it's so much. It's always easier to see for someone else so totally. clearly
1: and objectively.
0: Yeah. How honest are you with yourself, though?
1: Oh my gosh, that's a tough question. Oh, uh, finally, a tough question. That's a tough what one. the fuck <laughs> is that? I know. Now I feel like I'm being life coached. How, how honest are you really? Yeah, on a scale of one to ten. Um, I think I think I'm brutally honest with myself um I think that uh I have to be because if I'm not then I don't show up very well like um there's a lot of shit I'm scared of though like any other human being you know um there's a lot of shit I'm scared of like any other human being and uh you know I I I have fears, I have anxieties, but Michael Beckwith, I was listening to him the other day and he was like, listen, fear and anxiety is a waste of your precious time that you have here on this earth. And he's right. At the end of the day, I'm always going to have anxiety beneath the surface because I, uh, whatever I incurred in my youth that brought on that anxiety, um, that has sort of been there for a while. So I will have anxiety, but to compound it then with, you know, thoughts that I come up with that are like, well, what if this happens? Well, what if this happens? Well, what if this doesn't happen? You know, um, only brings on more anxiety. It's not good for the nervous system. It's not good for my health. So in that sense, in terms of my honesty with myself, I, I try really hard to be honest about my fears and my anxiety and realize that, um, that it's, it's very unhealthy for me to, to just compound those anxieties. Whereas I could be like, Um, I could put those in a corner, first of all, and allow them to sit and allow them to just be and realize that if I really want to reflect what I want to manifest, then I could think of something completely different. So that's where I do have to be like, okay, T, you got to like check yourself here. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, would my husband say I am honest? Am I really? Should we call him? (laughs) Put him on the spot?
0: Put him on speaker?
1: I think so. I do call, I mean, like... I call him out on his shit a lot. Yeah, you do. So. Well. Yeah. Yeah. You know I do. You idea. call me on that
0: shit, so what <laughs> can I like, say? Go on. This is why we don't yeah. see a lot of each other, by the way. Oh.
1: oh I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> <So> you're like, <laughs> stop calling out my shit. Well, I like pe- when people call me out on my shit. Yeah. I like it. I mean, it, if it's done in a respectful way, you yeah. I actually want to share this story because mm. you know how I listed all the coaches I've heard
0: about, yeah. like a dating coach, a sober coach. I remember... Do you remember us? Like yes. our dating stories? Yes. Well, I just remember Tim Lee just telling me, Nadesh you have to approach dating like you're looking for a job. I understand. <laughs> you have to go out on X amount of dates. And yep. oh my goodness. Yeah. I was like, this is too much. Yeah. Dating shouldn't be that much work. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So I have to say right now, listening to all your energy levels, I was thinking about the dating portion of my life. I must be at the apathy. I'm level one right now. I'm just like, you know what? Unless you knock on my door, not happening. Right, right. Which isn't very helpful.
1: Well, I was there many... I mean, eight years single like I was there. I was there 100% so many times. I think when you and I went to that like crazy dating coach guy. <laughs> it was so
0: ridiculous. We drove to Long Beach. We drove
1: Beach. to Long Beach and like ate at, like like what was it like uh, Olive Garden but nicer? I don't even know where it was. Yeah. Oh my god. And then we like got wine at the at the place and it was like in these te- uh, it was it was it was crazy. Um and I actually raised my hand during that seminar because I, I totally disagreed with what he was saying. I know. Yeah.
0: And I was like just slithering down my seat. I was like, <laughs> should I
1: speak up and bring attention to us? Oh, And his wife was sitting behind us. I you know. We had
0: no idea. Oh, my God.
1: Anyway. So, yeah. At that point when I was dating, because that was like right before I met Johnny, uh, my, my now husband, I was like, I'm done with this shit I'm like, I am going to say yes to everything. I, I, don't, I don't think that, um, you know, the Lean In book or whatever or Chandra Rhymes book had come out yet. But I was like, I'm going to say yes to everything. I'm going to say yes to every date. I'm just going to say yes. Like every job you interview. You went all
0: in. Yeah. It was, yeah. you know, this is someone who actually, if you look at someone's life, you're like, okay, they are living that truth, whatever yeah. they believe, because you were. Yeah. I mean, I remember you like would have three dates and one day. <laughs> That's some days, true. And I'm I was just like, how do you do it? It, it, yeah. was, it was like having not looking for a job. Yeah. You had another job. I know. And that job was going out on dates. I know.
1: Yeah. It was a bit, cr- I mean, because I had spent, well, I was two years celibate for, you know, before that, like, because I was like, oh, I'm not doing anything. I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with men. You so know? level one apathy? Cool. To- totally. I would go to the Whole Foods, like in my Uggs and in a sweatshirt and my- and sweatpants. And I was like, I don't give a shit what people think about me at all. I was like, you can, I don't care. I do not care. Like at all. And then something switched where I was like, I'm just tired of living this way. And then I started, you know, wearing skirts <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> with those like, long legs of
1: yours, like that must have dresses, attention. you know, like what was you a got lot? all feminine. I did. Stuff. You threw on a little lipstick. It was weird. Like I suddenly got in touch with my feminine mystique, and I wore dresses. Oh my gosh, you know, and like skirts, and you know, I'm usually just in like what I'm wearing today, You're which is sweet. like yeah, like jeans yeah. and a t shirt and, and and sneakers. Um, but. It was fun. It was fun because I was trying on, it was almost like I was trying on a persona and I was, I was all in. I was all You were in. faking it till you made it. Yeah. And did. girl, did you make it? I did. Well, it wasn't easy. No, it wasn't.
0: <laughs> But it was fun to watch because I was like, where is she going with this? Like, yeah. what's the end game here? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, boy, you snagged one. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I might have to have you back on for, you know, to discuss to what discuss. happens now once you're married. Oh, my gosh. the whole new Does, world. Do people
1: really want to hear that stuff? No. Oh, they don't want to hear that. They don't? Not really, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, because that's what my sister said. Now that you're married, you're just boring. Oh,
0: okay, good. <laughs> so well, on that
1: <laughs> note, get, yeah. get me out of here. Okay. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> no, but in all honesty, thank you so very much oh, for coming. Thank you. Love you. To pieces. Love you, girl. I believe we understand. I understand now what life coaching is. Mm-hmm. I finally know what my friend does. Yeah. So which is I'm going to a client. I'm like, okay. I never know what that is. <laughs> well,
1: client.
0: I'm like a yeah. client. Right. Is that what we're calling it? Right. But yeah, yeah. it's legit stuff. Yeah, you that know, you're doing and you're doing it's good legit. work. Yeah,
1: and life coaching has come a long way. You know, the the advent of it was Tony Robbins, yes. right? And people sort of, I think a lot of people, even now when they hear life coach, they're like, mm. mm-hmm. but it started in the business world. So if we want to put it to be, you know, I mean, like Oprah has the life coach and, you know, all these NBA coaches have life coaches because they know that they, again, they want to move from functional To optimal, these guys are successful human beings. Yeah, but they're even in their success, they know they can be more successful. Like, um, Dwayne Wade is retiring from basketball, and he hired a life coach, I think, recently, or he talked about working with like a mentor or something like that because he's like, "What's next?" Yeah, what's next?
0: Yeah, it's not over.
1: It's not over. Just because I made millions of dollars and I'm like one of the most successful NBA players, I still want to up my game, like beyond basketball. So. It's getting a better rap, I think. Well, we're about to up our game now. <laughs>
0: uh, so we will put Ten Lee's contact information on the show notes. Yay. So if you want to reach out to her, I'm sure she'll either answer questions, work with you. Yeah, and absolutely. she obviously works with everyone.
1: Everyone. Yep, so, everyone. Yeah. There you go. I'm in LA, but I do Skype sessions all over the country. So. And you go to clients? Yep, I go to clients, um, but most clients work over the phone. Most clients like to be kind of anonymous in that way, but mm-hmm. some people like Skype. Well, do you have clients you've never seen what they look yes. like? I've never Wait. seen what they look like. Yes. What if
0: you're talking to a robot? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you are truly a writer for sure you are a writer yeah it. thank yeah. you yeah
0: that's a great school. whoa all right well if there's a screenwriter out there do not steal my story i will have it registered with the wga before you know it okay that's our show today thank you bye